Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome back to, I guess this would be part three of some holiday coverage of the DCU Holiday Bash number two. This time around, I have, of course, two more lovely guests covering two more lovely stories of this still singular lovely issue. Okay, maybe that didn't work. But oh well, we're still rolling with it because I have with me today... The masterful man of steel memories. <laughs> wow, that's. I really need to like you know pitch some of these things to to focus groups before I start rolling out with them. He is the purveyor of the views from the long box, so I guess that means he's sort of your tour guide. Okay, forget it. I am done with these titles. Everybody, welcome Michael Bailey. <laughs> I think all of us who, who podcast sometimes get to that point where we're like, man, maybe I should have workshopped that a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, you did fine, but I know I know that feeling where you're you're going for something and, it, and, and, and maybe for you personally, it doesn't quite land, but nobody else cares. <laughs> like everybody listening is like, you're fine, Clinton. It's fine. But no, thank you for having me on to... Uh, Discuss this uh, as, as it is the holiday season. I, I and uh, I know you are not a coffee snob, but uh, I, I will be uh, sipping on my uh, pumpkin spice latte because uh, it is always because because if it's fall and winter, uh, it's it's time for that. In fact, maybe I'll get up early and get one of those tomorrow too. Well, you know, uh, I think there is a certain coffee snob who has secretly, not so secretly, admitted to liking those. So. <laughs> I, I I fall back on my my usual thing is just like if if that's what you're gonna make fun of, just let people have their fun. The world's a hellscape and everything's on fire. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're we're doing a show where we're talking about funny books here. Yeah, but I do appreciate you having me on for this. Uh, the '90s, as I as I continue to come to terms with or realize, however you want to say it. Um, is my sweet spot for comic books in general. Uh, I, I, that was my most, uh, as a sustained decade, it was the decade I was most plugged into, especially around this time period in the late nineties. I was buying good Lord. I was buying a lot of DC books. Like if, it, if you were a member of the JLA at this time period, I collected your title. Um, just, just under general principle. So, but especially the Superman books. Well, you know, when you take into consideration, this is right around the time they expanded the roster. 
Most or, of them, thankfully, did not have their own titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was no Huntress. There, there was no Zario title, really. Uh, shockingly, no. There was a mini series uh, that I think Mark Miller wrote, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but yeah, he was a thing for about five minutes. Uh, he is also the answer is, what do you do when you can't use Hawkman? <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, the, 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 these specials, I, I remember them coming out and I remember enjoying them. I, I, I like Christmas comics uh, ever since uh, I was a kid and came across that Christmas with the superhero special with the John Byrne cover at Walden Books. Uh, I, I just, I love these stories. And the one we're talking about, this epic, epic length Superman adventure. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I say that snarkily, but keep in mind that it is drawn by one of my Mount Rushmore of Superman artists. So uh, it, it is, it, I, I, I poke fun at the length in love. So. Oh, yeah, I mean... You're not wrong on that, the creative aspects there for sure. But, oh, so I, I take it, you know, holidays down your way are a mix of one sort of uh, hellscape, uh, you know, from one to another kind of thing. It's kind of fascinating. Um, I grew up in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, right outside Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And if you want to know a town that does Christmas, <laughs> it's going to be a town named Bethlehem. Uh, and I remember every year uh, the Pennsylvania Power and Light Building in Allentown, which this c- could have changed since I left. It's been like over 25 years. Uh, but that was the tallest building in town. And the lights, uh, they would have lights going up each side of the building that looked like a Christmas candle. Uh, but, and, and we would do on Christmas Eve, the luminarias, I don't know if they do this in in your part of the country, uh, but it's basically you take bags of candles and you put them in front of your, up your driveway and along your, in front of your street, you light them on Christmas Eve. Uh, no one appreciated that I was saying, is this a runway for Jesus? But, um... But I still hold that maybe that's what we were trying to do. And invariably, if it was windy, most of the bags would light on fire and burn out because there's sand in there. So you're not like setting the neighborhood on fire. Uh, down here, it's it it it, it, it is everywhere um, because and and I, I don't want anybody listening to this to take offense by what I'm about to say. Uh, I cannot drive a minute without seeing another church. Uh, that is neither bad nor good. It just depends on your perspective. Uh, so they're all decked out and you know, it's thing. There isn't so much the war on Christmas. Uh, there just seems to be, especially in retail, a, a, a non-aggression pact, uh, (laughs) at my store, at least. Uh, I, I am very much of the opinion that I wait to hear what the customer says before I respond. So if they say Merry Christmas, I say Merry Christmas. If they say Happy Holidays, I say Happy Holidays. If they grunt, I ignore them. So, um, but no, Christmas is, uh, <laughs> it's one of those also times of the years where one day it could be 20 degrees and the next day it's 70. 
Mm. Uh, so there's that as well. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I I like the holiday. Usually my wife and I will spend an obscene amount of time watching the Hallmark movies. Uh, and I'm constantly trying to find Superman connections to them, which <laughs> is easier than you think, especially when they're filmed in Canada. Uh, <laughs> well, with, you know, like a half dozen of them having Brandon Routh now, it's kind of, yeah, kind of easier than... The, <laughs> he was, he was the firefighter in that one. And, 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 and as, as, as much as I, I, I have lost, uh, respect, you know, Dean Cain's in like 50 of them. Mm. Uh, and Laura Vandervoort's got her own. Uh, there was one with the Jimmy Olsen and it's from Smallville. So it's, it's, and, and like day players from Smallville will pop up. But I, um, no, I, I, I used to be more excited. These last couple of years have been a little rougher <laughs> to find them, Mary. But uh, maybe this year will be the year it all comes out. Maybe this year. Years ago, I was listening to um, the the podcast that inspired me, which is called The Diner. It's hosted by a guy named James Lilex. And he pointed out something that I never thought about. But uh, most Christmas specials revolve around like Christmas not happening because of something and everybody having to do something to get Christmas to happen again. Uh, and I guess I think part of me is hoping that this is the year that that happens for me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying you you want to save Christmas or you want it to not happen? I want Christmas to be saved for me. Oh, I'm way too okay. tired to save anything. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, folks? This is where we all need to rally together. This is the <laughs> year that podcasting saved Christmas. <laughs> What's it like for you uh, in your neck of the woods? Uh, Weather-wise, very much the same. You know, could be 20, could be 70. We do not have the... <laughs> I will never forget now, Runway for Jesus. Yeah, that, that's. I'm just saying. We do not have that because um, it, it would just be considered a a serious fire hazard around here. <laughs> because no one would put sand in their bag. They would just... Um, I am in an area where thankfully I can drive about six blocks between churches. So, you know, a little, little less spread out, but I, I blame that more on the town that I'm in than the actual area, because this is Oklahoma folks. It's, we're just going to say it's Georgia light. Okay. Yeah. I've never (laughs) been to Georgia, but you know. That that's that's my excuse. <laughs> now keep in mind, if you Georgia <clears throat> is a small portion that's Atlanta, and then there's the rest of the state. Oh no 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 yeah. Um, ask Shag one of these days about coming to Oklahoma to visit. He's seen our two major landmarks, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, and the vast emptiness in between. <laughs> I remember that. I remember driving through, uh, riding through Oklahoma back in um, 1990 when we were heading, when I was with my grandparents, we were heading back from Durango, Colorado. So, but uh, also one of your sons of your state, Garth Brooks, one of my favorite singers. So you got that too. At least I think he's from Oklahoma. He is. He's actually from 
uh, where I live now. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Uh, well, that's where sure he, there's a plaque somewhere. <laughs> believe it or not, no. That's shocking. It, <laughs> Garth was just the the guy that would show up at the grocery store in a ball cap and blue jeans, and you would just see him like buying, you know, potato chips, <laughs> or go to Toys R Us and buy board games for when he goes on tour. But you know, he's he's moved back to Nashville now, so. So what do we got in the story? Oh, well, first off, where is Superman at this time? Uh, this is in, December you know? of 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over Oh, here. you're fine. fine. Uh, this is December of 1997, so we're literally right around this time is where Superman Red, Superman Blue happens. Uh, back in February is when the electric blue powers kicked in. And the books, it's interesting. Uh, I used to think that this was a low period for the books. Uh, and, and that was like in the early 2000s. Uh, and then I thought 2003 was like the low point of the books. And then like the back end of the new 52 happened. And I realized that all of this stuff is relative to whatever you not liking at the moment. Uh, <laughs> but they, it was an interesting experiment. They, for those of you that are not familiar or only familiar by seeing uh, what many people refer to as the ice skater costume, uh, which is actually the weird thing is that that's the costume on the cover. Uh, but he's not in that costume because this story that we're going to be talking about takes place in the past. And, but, uh, he, due to shenanigans with the final night, losing his powers and getting his powers back and all that, Superman becomes unstable and he has to put on this, uh, elect- he gets these electrical powers that this suit, uh, that he is given by Dr. Emil Hamilton, uh, allows him, uh, contains him. Uh, but when he's not Superman, he shifts to Clark Kent and is completely human. So he has no superpowers while he's Clark Kent. And this is, looking back on it, uh, an interesting time. They told some cool stories. Uh, Grant Morrison used the powers to great effect. Uh, But I remember back probably around this time, uh, the only reason I was excited again is because they were doing the thing where they split him into the red and blue. Uh, and I'm going to say something. It's going to sound like snark. It's not. It, this is what happens when everybody gets a voice at the table, including the colorist. Because uh, this was because this was Glenn Whitmore's idea, who was the colorist of the Superman books at the time. And John Bogdan, Bogdanov, uh, who I recently got to uh, present at a convention, was talking about talked about the fact that, especially when Mike Carlin was the editor the super people, when they would get together for their super summits, everybody had a voice at the table and they had everybody there, all of the creative staff. It doesn't mean that your idea was going to get chosen, but it would at least be seriously considered. And so the idea of taking what was uh, one of the greatest Superman stories ever told, that's not me, that's DC Comics. They put it in a volume called The Greatest (laughs) Superman Stories Ever Told. Uh, you know, the amazing story of Superman Red and Superman Blue. And this was a then-modern take on that idea. 
so and it, it is funny. I was looking through some covers while we were prepping to to get started, and I was remembering two months before this was when they did the faces covers, uh, where all the covers of the main DCU books was like a face shot of the uh, that could get sticky. Um, phraseology wise, but it was just a focus on the face of the character. Uh, and then the, the next, uh, this also during this month, they had new year's evil, which was the fifth week event. Oh God. Now I got to explain fifth week events. Okay. So TC, (laughs) uh, started in the late nineties. Uh, you know, comics come out every week on Wednesday. Several times a year, there are five Wednesdays in a month. So they would start doing these special uh, either miniseries or like mini events or whatever. And one of them was called New Year's Evil, where they focused on some villains. Uh, This is where the Gog uh, special happened that eventually led into the Kingdom fifth week event that came out next year. Uh, you had a one with Prometheus from JLA. There was a Mr. Mixius Pitalik one where he was in the electric blue outfit. Uh, so I was looking at that, those covers and remembering, vividly remembering, you see, 1997 to me, of all the years of the 90s, and of all the years I was single, it was the single greatest year of my single life. Uh, I, I spent that entire year working third shift at a gas station. Uh, so most of the time, yes, I was supposed to be there that day or that (laughs) night. And I got the job down so much and it really wasn't all that busy that I'd get all my shift work done really early. Some friends would come by, we'd hang out for a couple hours, uh, and then they'd leave and I'd read. I read so many comics that year. Uh, I went through like the Giffen de Mateus Justice League. I went through the five years later Legion. It was just it was just a really good year for that. And so this is like kind of getting gearing up towards the end of that year. So it's not that it's sad, like I like, but I get a little wistful thinking about uh, this time period. <laughs> there is a very long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> Oh, I love that though. Yeah, just, I'm glad. And now you got me thinking, you know, like the modern stuff too, because the, uh, the the teaser images they've shown of like Team Superman or Superman Inc. or whatever they're calling it, and it looks like John has some of the electric blue energy coming yeah. off of him. Well, that is the thing of of, of a storyline that is mocked mercilessly online and that everybody kind of pokes fun at. There is so much merchandise. There were, um, in the late 90s, like 1998, 1999, uh, I forget who it was. I think it was Hasbro, uh, took some of the Total Justice molds mm-hmm. and put out a JLA line of figures yeah. that my wife bought me, like all of them for our first Christmas together. Uh, but the year before that, my friend Ryan for Christmas got me the Superman Red, Superman Blue figures. Uh, 
which are kind of funny to look at because they literally just took the mold for the Superman figure. So if you look at really closely at the legs, you see the little divots of where the boot is, <laughs> even though it's not supposed to be there. There was a uh, really, uh, there was only a couple figures in the line. There was a really neat Asbats in it as well. Uh, that got an action figure. There's a cloth 12-inch action figure. There were... Um, DC Direct did a JLA classified line that was all based on Ed McGinnis molds, uh, which is basically the same body type with a different head. Uh, they had a Superman Red, Superman Blue, and that. The... Uh, Mattel line of figures had a Superman red, Superman blue. Thank you, Ryan Daly. Uh, he, he sent me, <laughs> he sent me those cause I didn't have them. Uh, there's now both a, uh, Funko pop for each one. So, and, and, um, there's this line of figures. I don't know if you go through the toy aisle as much as I do. Uh, but there seems to be like this, it's not a 12 inch. It's like a 10 inch figure. And, like, every major toy thing. Like, Star Wars has done a line in that size. Marvel has. DC has. They did an electric blue one. Uh, so I bought it, of course. Because I'm me. <laughs> and I just, I'm just fascinated that so much merchandise comes from something that people don't seem to have a really high opinion of. And... Smallville did the Smallville comic, the season 11 book did kind of a take on it. And like, as you said, it looks like Jonathan Kent is getting electric blue powers, which that's kind of fascinating, especially if you're going to bring Superman back to earth. Not that I'm reading the books at the moment. Uh, I've, I've been away for about three years. Uh, Bendis broke me. I guess is the best way to say that. That's fair. Uh, I gave that man a shot and I feel like I was, I still feel like I was lied to. Uh, but seeing everything that's going to be coming in January and February, I'm like, you know what? This might be the time to kind of hop back on the train. Uh, not to the extent <laughs> I was when <laughs> this comic was published because I was literally buying, if it was like a Superman adjacent book. So I was buying Superman and all, all five, then five of the Superman books uh, you also had um, Superboy, Supergirl, Steel wasn't done yet. Because Steel wrapped up shortly after Millennium Giants, which is what wrapped up the Electric Blue era. Uh, so I was buying all of those books. I was buying JLA. Uh, this was the time period where they were putting out 50 Elseworlds a, a month. <laughs> At like six bucks a pop. So if it was Superman related, I bought it. Uh, so I don't do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, s simply because one, they don't publish that much. And two, it's expensive. Uh, but, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And I, and I still am. I, I think it was a missed opportunity uh, to not have an electric blue Superman Christmas story. But I think the one we got was just fine and dandy. I mean, the, the, the title's right there. You could just call it Electric Blue Christmas. and <laughs> I'll have a, have a Electric Blue Christmas without you. <laughs> yeah, see? I mean, it, it's right there. Granted, it's low-hanging fruit, but... 
It writes itself. Exactly. Oh, well, instead of an electric blue Christmas, we got The Gift. Written and penciled by Dan freaking Jergens. Jergens. Talking is a thing I have been able to do for the last three weeks. Dan Jergens, folks. This is who you want when you're doing Superman. Let's just say it. Inks by Brett Breeding. Colors by Jason Wright. And letters by, you guessed it if you've been paying attention, folks, John Costanza. <laughs> that man, I hope, got paid by the story, not by the book. <laughs> he... Well, this one was an easy for him. Easy one for him. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this was his easy one, the the dark side one, he wasn't on it. Wait, no, not the dark side one. Was it? Yeah, the dark side one he wasn't on at all. So Okay. So in Metropolis, Superman returns a now broken robot to LexCorp. According to the latest Daily Planet, said robot has been running amok on the eastern seaboard. An angry Superman, notice the lack of angry red eyes of anger, with his cape all ripped to shreds, stares down a balding Lex Luthor, who seems to swear to his innocence. Superman flies away, leaving Lex to reveal his true feelings to the camera. And at that moment, we're probably happy that uh, John Costanza didn't have to letter anything that he'd have to bleep out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Superman flies back to the farmhouse in Kansas, festively decorated for Christmas. Once inside, he sees a gift with a note that reads, Clark, we do get WGBS news at the North Pole, and I noted your problem. Open your present immediately. Merry Christmas, Santa. Opening the gift reveals a brand new cape to replace Clark's torn one. Ma and Pa Kent appear from the stairs, and the three embrace as a family. And that, in a nutshell, is the gift. So, Michael, what do we think of this? Uh, pedantic nerd note. This is probably the first Christmas after he became Superman. Given uh, the amount of hair on Lex's head. Um, or no, I, I take that back. Sorry. I, I just, I just, I, I heard the sound of a, of a, of a thousand, uh, post-crisis fans crying out in anguish and then suddenly nothing. Um, this probably would have been the second Christmas because it was like 18 months into, uh, the post-crisis era that he met Lex for the first time. Because Lex was in Man of Steel number two as a shadow and he had headed out and he was out of town for like almost a year and it was on his, uh, his luxury yacht that uh, he met Superman for the first time. And super so this is after that. So this is, this is probably second year two, year three Superman. Uh, I love this story. As I said, Dan Jurgens is one of my Mount Rushmore Superman people. I have, uh, I, I have, I've gotten to interview and, and, and talk with a bunch of the 
creators from around this time period. Uh, none of them have been jerks. They're all nice people. Uh, but Dan uh, specifically has managed to keep his toe in the Superman waters no matter what. Uh, it's kind of funny. He was on the book for he was on the character for ten solid years, and then in two thousand two he did the Day of Doom miniseries uh, to celebrate the tenth anniversary of the death of Superman. <sighs> that was twenty years ago. Um, and then he, you know, he had a six issue run in the new 52 and then there was rebirth. And now again, as we were just talking about Jonathan getting the electric blue powers, there's uh, he's going to have one of the stories in action comics continuing the Superman and Lois uh, or the low. Yeah. Superman and Lois miniseries that he wrote uh, with Lee weeks doing the art. They're going to continue with that spilling out of the, 30th anniversary death of Superman special that by this point is out. Um, so uh, I like this story one, cause uh, even though we didn't get to see the fight, it's Superman fighting a robot. It's Superman giving Lex Luthor the business. It's Lex Luthor that shot of him, like fainting, um, <laughs> fainting in his sense. It's just amazing. Uh, and I love that he flies home. I, I am a big proponent of the Kents being alive. And this is one of the reasons why is because he could go home and spend Christmas with his parents. Uh, this is before, before he and Lois were even thinking about dating. So this is definitely where he would have gone. So it's, it, and the art is just beautiful. It's Brett breeding, doing the inking. Uh, breeding is one of Jurgen's best inkers, uh, up there with Norm Ratmund, uh, and, uh, to me, Artie bear, uh, those are those are the three guys that I like to see most uh, with uh, with Dan. But what about you? What did you think of this one? I really liked it. I'm glad you pointed out that it's set in the past, though, because I took it to be the fall of Metropolis Lex, like after the clone body started losing its hair and stuff. But you're right; it's it's drawn as the Man of Steel. Like early post-crisis era legs, not the tall, skinny legs. Yeah, and also he doesn't have like the—he's not Jedediah Luther, <laughs> uh, you know, with the with the you know with the, with the Amish beard, mm. uh, but no mustache. So, plus, you know, it, it very much explained why Lois wasn't anywhere in the story. I kept thinking, wait, they're married. Why is? Why is he going home to Ma and Pa? And Lois is like, no, 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 I'm good. It's also amazing to see how much storytelling Jurgens packs into the uh, the the pages without there being any dialogue. Like you get everything that happens in the story. Uh, there, there's a couple little helpful. There's a helpful headline and a helpful note from Santa quote-unquote, Santa. <laughs> uh, but other than that, everything is basically on the on the faces of the characters. Okay, now that brings up an interesting note. Do, do you believe it's just Ma and Pa being playful, or do you believe it's actually Santa? Because <laughs> other stories have established Santa as a character in the DC Universe. I, I think this is Ma and Pa because it's the cape, and at this point Martha was the one that made the capes. 
So she just she just took one out of the closet, put it, wrapped it up really quickly, and put because, the note there. So. Because as we know, Superman's force field does not extend to caves. Yes, his bioelectric aura that extends just a few millimeters from his skin that prevents dirt from clinging to him and prevents anything happening to the clothes that he wears. Uh, Nerd alert. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the Grant Morrison thing. Nobody blows up the Batmobile's tires. It's a freaking comic book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I do like the note that you know, they watch WGBS. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was not a... Um... Clark was not a, a an employee at the time period, but WGBS was one of the um, one of the prime uh, media outlets of Metropolis at, at this point. You had like the Daily Planet building, the LexCorp building, and the WGBS building before they all became a monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. I guess. Would it be a monopoly? Because they're technically, you know, different businesses. Yeah. Unless somebody bought them all. I mean, there's yeah. that. This is where Professor Allen's like, you know, just yelling at the thing like, no, take my finance class. You'll learn. Well, I can't afford college right now, but maybe later. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have him give me like a, <laughs> like, like pay him as like a private tutor or something. <laughs> Well, I hear it only costs 25 cents. <laughs> I think he would argue that education is worth 25 cents. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, you you pretty much nailed it. This is a beautiful story and in, in more than one meaning of the word. Because that art is gorgeous. The story itself is wonderful. And it's really a lot to put in two, three pages. I mean, I, yep. I'd be hard pressed to find a comic these days that has that, that much in 10 pages, let alone two. Yeah. I, you know, I, w- I was thinking about that, uh, you know, it's just, and, and every time I kind of get on my quote unquote high horse about, you know, these kids today with their, you know, their hula hoops and their Dan Fogelberg records, uh, you know, MTV video games and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just such a different time for comics. There, there are people that are like, we need to go back to the way it was fill in the blank of the era. And I'm like, no, the, the, the comics that existed at that time could only exist in that time. <laughs> the nineties yeah. is the only time. Uh, as the as the 2000s proved over the course of of, of of 10, 15 years, the 90s is the only time that you can have five regular Superman titles and have that be a, sustain, a sustainable economic model. Yeah. Because uh, they were only to $1.99 uh, a piece. So little cheaper investment. It's It's easier to keep a title and keep reading a title if it's only two bucks. People get a little finickier when they're like five, six dollars, uh, or four dollars, depending on the title. So, you know, there are people right now that are getting into comics, and this is their golden age of comics. Uh, and I never want to take that away from anybody. 
What However, I am. What is it they say? The, the golden age of comics is when you're 12. And, and that's fair, but I also think that's also for a very specific g- set of generations of comic book fans that you don't have anymore. Uh, also, I think a lot of people just get their superhero fix from the movies and the television shows. Which is also so, fair. Uh, you know, that's... <laughs> there was a time where I went to every single comic book film when it came out. Now, I... And I would watch a show if it was on. And now I just don't watch everything because I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> there was a time I took the trolley over to Shelbyville. Back then... I needed to get a heel for my shoe. <laughs> so I went over to Morganville. Which is what we called Shelbyville at the time. Now, at the time, the trolley was twenty-five cents, and the bees had li- uh, the nickels had little bees on them. Give me five bees for a quarter, we'd say. But the important thing is that I had an onion belt, which was the style at the time. It wasn't a yellow onion because of the war. <laughs> I had that thing memorized at one point. Uh, I did it at work. The kids were amused. <laughs> uh, sorry, but no. Thank it's, you so much for having me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to. Uh, it's, it's always fun to revisit this era, and I'm sure Jeffrey and I will get to it in about 15 years. <laughs> uh, you'll get there when you get there. But don't run off just yet, Michael, because as a first-time guest on the show, you get to take the lovely coffee and comics quiz. Oh. I am looking forward to this. So am I, because I bet you have interesting answers. Okay. All right. So, as you know, this is the Coffee and Comics podcast. We have a strong preference for a certain brown beverage, but that's okay. We also support beverages of choice, because we're open-minded here. So, what do you consider your beverage of choice? Um... Right now, it's Dr. K, which is the Kroger brand of Dr. Pepper, uh, to save a little bit of money, because there was a time period earlier in the year where money was kind of tight. We we stopped buying regular Dr. Pepper and started buying the Dr. K. Uh, and uh, if you have a Kroger near you, just realize that, and I'm almost 100% sure of this, all of the Kroger brand sodas are Pepsi-based, uh, because the Dr. K tastes like a slightly watered down Dr. Pepper. Uh, but uh, right now that's my beverage of choice uh, and water. Uh, but mainly uh, I'll, I'll allow myself like a can, maybe two a day. And I don't drink soda like I used to because who I was trying to kill myself. But yeah. Okay. Well, we do not have a Kroger, so you kind of threw me for a moment there. <laughs> Alrighty, so question two: Betty or Veronica? Uh, <laughs> I want to quote Kevin Smith so bad right now. Um, <laughs> you're, you're not the only one who has said that this year. Uh, the reason why I'm going to say Betty is, I feel like Betty would appreciate you more. <laughs> Like with Veronica, it's, she appreciates it's not like I'm nothing. She, I'm not saying she's evil, uh, but you know she's she's a rich girl, 
and now I'm about to sing a Hollow Notes song. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I feel like I feel like Betty would probably be a little more down to earth, and that there wouldn't be like kind of a judginess of my clothes and the car I drove and all that. Plus, you know, if '80s movies have taught you anything. No, yeah, I mean, some kind of wonderful kind of had like the Betty and Veronica dynamic going on. So, hmm. all righty. So, Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X Men? <sighs> That's tough. Um, I'm honestly gonna say uh, Claremont Burn X Men. And the reason for that is, is not that I don't like the Wolfman Perez Titans, because uh, I do. I just think I consistently liked across the board more of the Burn Claremont X Men, because uh, right out of the gate you get the story with uh, Vindicator, who later became Guardian. Uh, you had like a really cool Magneto story. You had the story with Arcade. Uh, that kind of gears up to the Proteus and, and then, you know, the Dark Phoenix saga and the Days of Future Past. Uh, so, and Wolfman and Perez, there's like a middle period right after, like, like between like the end of the first year and the introduction of Terra, where I kind of lose the needle a little bit. And then they start going off into space, which the X-Men did too. I know. Stop yelling, everybody. Uh, but I, I just wasn't as emotionally invested in like the whole Blackfire, Starfire thing. Uh, whereas, you know, watching the the, the X Men go off to fight the Legion uh, in the form of the Imperial Guard uh, was always kind of more fun. And to be fair, Burn is the reason I started picking up the Superman books back in '87. Uh, so I gotta gotta give it to him that on that give it to it as that as well because uh, I'm kind of a sucker for for burn artwork especially in the in the 70s and 80s. Cool. Okay, question four: Which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? Uh, Starman, uh, Jack Knight, Starman. Um, that that Robinson series, that James Robinson series, was just brilliant, and it's just begging. Now, to be fair, one of the characters uh, that was part of it, the Shade, has been part of the Star Girl series. Uh, but I think I think there's something to be said for for watching the guy that didn't want the mantle accepting the mantle, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I just I just love that book so much. I'm impressed you didn't make the Law and Order connection. Like right here for everyone. Oh, the fact that the shade was on the Law and Order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was there. He was. He was the guy. It was the final. Uh, well, not the final season because now they're been they're into the the second of the new era. But he was a he was a dirtbag lawyer that used to be a prosecutor uh, that had an affair with uh, what's God, I can't even remember the character's name. She was the final uh, assistant. Uh, to the ADA, uh, who I really liked. It's 
there was a point where I was just like, well, why isn't she playing Catwoman? Because would be amazing. <laughs> so, but still. Uh, but yeah, no, that, 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 that would be the one I think needs the most uh, movie, live action, animated, whatever. Okay, so villain most in need of decaf. <sighs> Professor Zoom is a cheap, cheap answer, so I will not say that. <laughs> Um, Brainiac. I think Brainiac could chill out a little bit. Maybe not have his, you know, whatever level intellect uh, firing at all at all times. So, <laughs> alrighty. So, who is the best super pet? Oh, Crypto. <laughs> this isn't even a contest. I'm a dog guy. Crypto. <laughs> Okay, now here comes the one I am most curious to hear. Can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman? <laughs> Are you teeing me up to say that Mighty Mouse is a cartoon and Superman's a real guy? <laughs> he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Yeah, this is very true. Though it's funny that you mentioned that, because uh, the other day at work, two of my younger associates were like, have you ever seen this movie Stand By Me? And I immediately wanted to walk out, get in my car, drive to the nearest beach, and just walk into the ocean because I saw that in the theater when I was ten. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, the the the, the kind of heavyset kid is like He's very to Rebecca different Romaine now. now. Yeah, because <laughs> they had never uh, they didn't know who Rebecca Romaine was. That was the funny part. I'm like, well, did you guys ever watch The Big Bang Theory? And they're like, yeah. I was like, he was Sheldon's older brother. They're like that was him. So that that's I, I like to break the people I work with. Like <laughs> my favorite for a certain uh, period of time was to tell people that uh, the voice of Mister Crab on SpongeBob was the evil guard from Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> um, there was one kid that looked like 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 he I I racked this kid's world. Um, my answer to that is. Yes, but only because the George Reeves Superman was not uh, as powerful as his comical counterpart. <laughs> but that was the special effects of the time. Uh. <laughs> so what you're saying is it would be a good fight, though. Yeah, it would be a great fight. <laughs> All righty, now we come to the last question. Would you prefer... A lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you. Or, comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor. I feel like Alan Middleton is going to know this answer either way. Uh, I would rather expensive comics and Doctor Doom owing me a favor, because I don't want Doctor Doom to have a grudge against me. That man has resources that are infinite. <laughs> uh, so I, I'd rather... And, 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 and I would never cash it in. That's the thing. <laughs> just hold it over his we just, head. We just leave it out there. It would probably drive him crazy. Uh, and I'd get periodic emails from Alan as one of his ministers of whatever department Alan's been put into at that time. Uh, you know, to, to, to maybe cash it in. 
Like, like, like that's what's going to happen is that Doom is going to make it Alan's problem to cash in the, the favor. <laughs> so then I'm really going to be torn. Cause, cause no, cause, 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 you know, Alan's a buddy and I, and I don't want, uh, I, I really don't want Alan upset with me and I don't want anything bad to happen to Alan. So if it like came down to Alan, you know, getting fired and you don't really ever get fired from Dr. Doom, uh, fire is involved. Uh, but it's, 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 it's not a, it's, a, and, and the word termination is involved, but it's not like, it's not like the Latverian HR department is going to remove him from the building. So, uh, but still, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd want Dr. Doom to owe me one. <laughs> okay. I wonder how that would happen though. That would be an interesting, that, that's the more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Did you pull a, a thorn from his paw or something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got a rock out of his boot. <laughs> <laughs> you eliminated Richards. Okay, well, now I owe you a favor. Um, Mr. Stretchy Pants does suck, so. All righty, well, that was an absolute blast. Thank you so much, Michael, for stopping by. Do let people know where they can find you online. Uh, FortressofBailey2.com. Uh, it's the repository for all of my podcasting uh, endeavors. Uh, by this point, I will be probably on a much more stable server, uh, which will be fun. Um, but there you can find things like From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, Superman and Lois tapes, Overlook Dark Knight, uh, Bailey's Batman podcast. It all comes back to Superman. Views from the Long Box. Somebody recently wrote in that he's on his second listen through, and I'm like, you poor bastard. Uh, and uh, just the, really on the network, there's like six, seven hundred episodes of various shows, so you'll probably find something. This is why I don't feel bad anymore when I go like for a couple months without producing anything because I've got a lot out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it's not like that all has gone away. It's still there. Yeah, I, I don't have quite that much out there. I just uh, you know, kind of just don't produce something for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, but if for some reason you are listening to this and you have never listened to anything that Michael has put out, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, plenty of time to remedy that while I am not putting out stuff, and you will definitely find how podcast should be done oh don't say that no 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 no. i'm not letting you get down on yourself here hey, you do hey. good work sir Keep it up. see th- th- that's my christmas gift this year folks michael gives me a compliment and now i much like dr doom i owe him a favor <laughs> <laughs> gonna have everybody owe me by the end of this <laughs> <laughs> all righty so Let's take a quick promo break, and I'll be back with the next story. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic Comic books. 
I've been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called News from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday... Or so, depending on real life. At www.viewsfromthelongbox.com Hey, welcome back, everybody. I hope you survived uh, that little break from, you know, the Superman story with Michael Bailey there. And since that was set in the past, I think we're just going to keep going back to the past. Mostly because, you know, that's how the stories are laid out in this book. Or at least this section of the book. Ah, but, you know, whatever. Rambling intros are rambly. So I'll just hop right into saying I'm not covering this alone, as is obvious. I brought in a guest. And who else could I bring in to cover a JSA slash All-Star Squadron story? Then the co-host from A World on Fire, Billy D. Hey, what's happening, man? You doing all right there, Billy? Oh, fantastic. How's everything with you? Love, thanks for uh, having me on, man. This is great. Love this story. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel like going to a party tonight. How about you? Yeah, let's let's hop in the DeLorean and uh, go back to uh, World War II, man. <laughs> Yeah, those those two sentences don't really go together. <laughs> I feel like going to a party. Let's go to World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there's a there's a nice party in this one here. A big party on uh, I think you know Christmas Eve. So uh, really good, really good stuff here, man. Yeah. But before we uh, hop right into it, Billy, uh, you got a a good holiday going your way. Uh, a whole lot of Christmassy, wintry things. Yeah, absolutely. Always look forward to the holidays. Love, uh, love Christmas time. Um, especially, you know, it's a lot of family time, which is nice. And some family members I only get to see during that time of year. So I really look forward to it. And hey, reading some uh, comics with a holiday theme is even better. <laughs> better than seeing your family? All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe you hear that, will. folks? They won't hear this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> True confessions <laughs> on the Coffee and Comics podcast. <laughs> yeah, they're of the ilk that, you know, comics are for kids. So we'll let them keep thinking that, and uh, they'll never hear this. <laughs> well, if, if that's their mentality, then yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Comics are better. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So, 
This one is called I Left My Heart at the Justice Society Canteen. Which might actually be the longest title of uh, any of any of the stories in this anthology. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting title, and uh, I'm not actually sure if this was something that was just made up on the fly here, or this was actually something that happened in uh, Justice Society, uh, you know, All Star Comics way back in the day. I'm not sure about that. Are you sure? Do you know? I am not sure, but um, you know, my friend Travis. It says Captain America was like Cotton Hill from King of the Hill, you know, wherever there was action, he was there. So I just kind mm-hmm. of assume the All-Star Squadron is kind of the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Even if one story has them in the Mid-Atlantic on you know, December 23rd, then there's no reason why they couldn't be in Gotham on December 24th, you know. <laughs> At the Justice Society canteen, which is hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Alrighty, so this one is written by Howard Chaikin. Already a good start. Mm-hmm. Pencils and inks by Rick Burchett. Colors by Rick Taylor. Letters by, if you've been paying attention to any of these episodes, folks, you guessed it, John Costanza. This man, I, mm-hmm. I hope he got paid by the letter. He's, <laughs> he's all over this book. Mm-hmm. Ah, and of course, you know, our lovely editor for the entire book, Darren Vincenzo, who I've probably only brought up once, twice before on on this coverage. Anyway, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. I, I don't really even know what the editors do other than edit. <laughs> well, you figure somebody has ceased and is shaken. I'm sure he didn't have too much editing to do. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so Christmas Eve, 1944, Gotham City. A sailor lost in thought is saved from walking straight into traffic by a mysterious stranger, who I'm sure in no way is um, the Sandman. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> since we don't actually get to see his face. No. <laughs> the man gives the sailor a card with an address to the Justice Society Canteen. Turns out the All-Star Squadron seems to be throwing a, a bit of a shindig for the military personnel. Wildcat serves as bouncer and lets the young ensign in. Some smug lieutenants lose a flexing contest against Guardian. But our plucky ensign manages to beat the hero in a knot-tying contest. Our ensign's prize? A dance with none other than Black Canary. The two talk about his current assignment, laundry officer aboard a dry-docked ship. But the discussion makes him think more about the lieutenants from earlier. Their uniforms are all wrong. This ensign smells a rat. As the two fake officers are getting ready to plant a bomb, the keen-eyed ensign manages to get the drop on them. And while he doesn't fare too well solo, he did bring some backup in the form of Black Canary. And of course, in pops the narrator of our story, our man, to defuse the bomb just in the nick of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm certain it's our man showing up just for that bad pun, but 
<laughs> Black Canary offers to let everybody know how much of a hero our ensign has been, but he points out that the entire military, as well as the costume crime fighters, have all been heroes lately. So credit where credit is due. The rest of the night is spent thinking about loved ones and enjoying the moment and a kiss with Black Canary. Oh, and who was our mysterious ensign? Why, none other than James Gordon. Uh-huh. And that, folks, is I Left My Heart at the Justice Society Canteen. So, Billy, what do you think of this story? I like this story quite a bit. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was nothing too heavy. It was, you know, a uh, right, you know, short little story here, but it was a lot of fun. Great little holiday story. I enjoyed it quite a bit. How about you? Oh, absolutely. This is a blast to read. No mm-hmm. pun intended about the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, really good stuff. I mean, we just rattling off all the characters that are either mentioned or shown in various panels you have uh starman dr midnight sargon the sorcerer talk about a deep cut there (laughs) uh johnny thunder and the thunderbolt guardian phantom lady the newsboy legion dr fate liberty bell ma hunkle wildcat our man adam green lantern flash star spangled kid and stripesy and marry the girl of a thousand gimmicks (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you, I almost expect Roy Thomas to have written this one. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was hanging out with uh, Howard and they were brainstorming about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. I have a real quick question, though. Mm-hmm. What Earth is this on? Yeah, this is the uh, Earth B for Bob Haney. <laughs> it has to be because... Did you notice who one of the waitresses is? Yeah, Phantom Lady there, right? Well, not just her. Oh, and Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel. Mm-hmm. That's yep. Phantom Lady I can get, you know. that That's All-Star Squadron kind of stuff. Yeah, she made some trips to Earth, too, sure. Mm-hmm. But Mary Marvel? Like, I don't remember seeing any Earth-S stuff. Oh, you know what, though? Yeah, what I think there was a story, wasn't there, where it had Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel came in, or in the All-Star Squadron story there, I think, where Hitler was kind of controlling him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's in, like, the mid-30s, the issue numbers uh, for All-Star Squadron. So I guess, oh, maybe there you go. Maybe that's the connection. <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah. So we got some anachronism. And uh, that word, anachronisms. There we go. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't sure who, you know, of all the characters, I was kind of like, okay, I can figure out who this is and who that is. Or, you know, just visually, I'm like, yep, that's who that is. But on that third page there where the Flash is running around and decorating a Christmas tree, I couldn't figure out who's up on stage there with uh, Star Spangled Kid. That's Mary, the girl of a thousand. Kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking, who is that? So I'm like, there's, you know, the star Spangled kid, stripesy, phantom lady, Mary Marvel, Liberty bells, even there, mm-hmm. newsboy legion, flash, Dr. Fate. But I'm like, okay, I think that's all of the, you know, superheroes. <laughs> but then I'm like, who is that one up there in the yeah. corner? 
Yeah, this this is kind of like somebody went through the who's who and said, okay, find me all the Golden Age heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like <laughs> you said, and even Guardian's in there, which, you know, it's not like he was a nobody, but him and Adam are there, and obviously mm-hmm. Guardian was not as uh, anywhere near as big of a, a deal with uh, the JSA and everything and All-Star Squadron as, you know, all the, a lot of the other ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm not complaining. I love seeing all these Golden Age characters. Oh, yeah, it was great. And then, uh, again, a Ma Hunkle appearance. I was like, wow, Chestnut here. They're really... <laughs> yeah, and and they even name-dropped Scribbly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I did like, you know, I don't know, too, you know, again, fun story. I thought the artwork was really, really good. I mean, it's like yes. a cartoony kind of style, but it works great. Yes, and it, it's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that the fifth page, maybe, where... Uh, Guardian is introducing the ensign to a uh, Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. That, that looks really, really good. And there's, you know, Johnny Thunder and the Thunderbolt there too. And then there's four faces laughing across the middle of the page and really good detail and everything. Wow. It, great stuff. Yeah. Like you get the, the sense of, well, the, the flexing panel where Guardian's muscles are incredibly exaggerated. Yes. <laughs> you know, Golden Age Guardian is just a, a normal guy. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, bio-enhanced by Cadmus or anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's his arms and chest are huge. Yeah, it's almost like Liefeldian with the big-breasted cap <laughs> picture mm-hmm. that he's famous yeah. for. <laughs> but the, but uh, the way you said it, like, it's cartoony. It's, it's, it's like if they did that as a an animated series, it wouldn't look out of place. No, no. It would just it be like, okay, you know, the the dude is definitely built. Yeah, it does almost remind you of something, you know, you could have seen like, uh, and not in his style, but in the, you know, Bruce Tim kind of uh, mm-hmm. DC, DC animated stuff. Absolutely, you could see this as a, a little short special. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, really, really good stuff. But yeah, then Ma Hunkle, that was crazy. I was like, what? What is she doing there? <laughs> crazy. Oh, man, that was wild. And she's threatening to kill someone, too. She has a knife in her hand, and one hand, and a, and a mop in the other. <laughs> she says she's going to make the uh, Newsboy le- Legion into part of the menu. <laughs> and poor Adam has to go clean the toilets. Yeah, poor Al. And then not only does he have to go clean the toilets, he gets knocked out here by these uh, two, uh, I'm assuming they're Nazi, you know, uh, saboteurs, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like the, uh, I mean, I, you know, the, the quick-thinking hero thing is always a, a good trope, but I really liked how uh, how they put everything together. Like, it was it was the the one clue that only James Gordon would have caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he made mention earlier when he was talking with, uh, I think it was Black Canary, how, you know, he's not some big hero. He basically just works uh, doing laundry on a, a ship that's dry docked. But again, that came into him being able to figure out how these guys, uh, that their uniforms weren't quite right, mm-hmm. which was great. And it, it's like a, a small detail kind of thing, just to, you know, Chaykin thought up a, a great idea there to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, they didn't salute or or something. It was that their uniforms aren't right. It's like, holy cow, you know, everybody else is busy partying. And it's like the one thing that 
that Gordon does, and it's like that's so it's going to stick out to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, uh, I think this is one of those stories too, where I'm just like, man, this would have, I think, could have even been better and benefited from being a little bit longer. And because once they, you know, the ensign figures out that these two guys are, uh, uh, you know, saboteurs, uh, literally. By the time he figures out their saboteurs and the time they get knocked out, it's like, <laughs> you know, a page, only a page and a half. It's like, oh, man, there could have been a lot more intrigue here and, you know, yeah. a lot more fun. Like, oh, this would have been great if it was like at least three or four pages longer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I could have actually seen this being a, a full issue. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been great. I mean, you know, don't, don't spread it out like, you know, three-issue story here, but... Mm-hmm. But, you know, a, a single issue, 22 pages or so, that would have been pretty good. Oh, yeah, it would have been fantastic. You figure you, they didn't really dive into any of the characters too much. A little bit of Guardian, a very tiny bit of uh, Adam and Black Canary here. And that's that's really about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, the characters, a lot of them are just there to show face, not really to add anything. Even, you know, a lot of them don't even have any dialogue. So, yeah, you could have dove into this a lot deeper. Yeah, and... I mean, you could argue that, except for the the one tiny bit of combat, Black Canary is there just to to be seen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, Black Canary seems to be there. You know, except for one part, she seems to be there just because uh, uh, Jim has uh, the hots for. Her. <laughs> mm-hmm. and now she does get to you know kick a, a, a saboteur in the face and uh, knock him out, which is kind of awesome. And then, like you said, the bit with Our Man that was just. That was fantastic. <laughs> did, did you catch that? Like even uh, even James Gordon and Our Man both don't really get the appeal of Johnny Thunder. Oh yeah, yeah, they're both like that guy. Like good grief! <laughs> I think Our Man refers to him as a pain in the hiney. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I was like, wow, th- this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Johnny is not a uh, not well liked even uh, amongst his peers. <laughs> 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 the final page, though, I did find this interesting. I couldn't figure out who that was on the final page that was singing there in that very first panel. I'm with you. I I look at it and I think, given the the cape and the hairstyle. I almost want to say that's supposed to be the golden age Robin. That's what I was thinking too. Is that Robin? I wasn't sure. Cause it's really like, it's almost like in shadow and then you can see a uh, green lantern there in the background with his power ring, like lighting the scene up green and it looks really cool, but yeah, nowhere does it, you know, say who that is or supposed to be or whatever. It just, I just, uh, there's a, you know, a, a caption there. The kid was a natural. And that's all it says with the singing. And it looks really cool. It's a great panel. I thought, well, it does look like a yellow, you know, cape there maybe. So, yeah, maybe it's Robin. I'm not sure. Oh, it, listeners, if if y'all have um, any insight on it, do let me know. Let Billy know because um, we're kind of stumped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any inside information would be helpful here because I'm just assuming it's Robin, but it, maybe it's not. Well, you know, Howard Shaken and Rick Perchett, since you two obviously listen to this show, do please write in and let us know about this <laughs> yeah. 30-year-old story. Yeah, I mean, or just, you know, you have our numbers. Just shoot us a text. Let us know. 
<laughs> but yeah, great shot of uh, all the different servicemen there, you know, uh, watching, uh, uh, like we're assuming Robin singing Silent Night here. It's a, it's a good shot there, too, of the, you know, sailor, and uh, looks like a Marine, a guy from the Army. It's a really, really good panel there. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- this is definitely it. It, it. In some ways, it feels out of place from some of the other stories in here, but at the same time, it fits just right where it needs to. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. I mean, the, the story that follows this one is uh, a lot more uh, <laughs> heavy. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like a very lighthearted story, so then followed by something very heavy is an interesting place to put it in the book. But, uh, yeah, again, the Overall, though, it's a great little story. It's one that you need to read. It's like, hey, it's on the app. That's how I'm reading it. So, you know, if you have the app, get out there and read it. It's good stuff. Yep, I I second that wholeheartedly. It is wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right, Billy. <clears throat> well, you and I have recorded before a, a few other times. Mm-hmm. But since this is uh, your first time on the Coffee and Comics podcast. Mm-hmm. You get to be subjected to the Coffee and Comics quiz. Okay. I don't see you being very intimidated by this. <laughs> Most Not everyone a- else, you know, is quaking with fear. <laughs> I'm too dumb. <laughs> <laughs> too dumb to know fear. <laughs> <laughs> so that qualifies you to be a Green Lantern, is that it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's secretly how Nort got his ring. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So, as you well know, on the Coffee and Comics podcast, we do have a certain predilection toward a specific brown beverage. But we also support beverages of choice. So, Billy, what do you consider your beverage of choice? Uh, that, well, it, it would depend on what kind of mood I'm in, but oh, the overwhelming majority of the time it's zero sugar, orange Gatorade. <laughs> that is quite possibly the first and dare say only time that <laughs> answer will come up. <laughs> I can go for a Guinness every once in a while though, too. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so question two. <laughs> Betty or Veronica? Oh, Betty for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a very quick answer. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> did, did somebody, like, slip you this quiz ahead of time? Mm-hmm. You've been prepping your answers. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. Nope. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have to check with Professor Allen, see if he's got a shiny new quarter somewhere. (laughs) All righty. So, Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X-Men? Claremont Burn X-Men, hands down. Really? Yes. I was a a Marvel baby for, oh, probably about 20 years before I started to really get into DC. Although the first comics I ever read were DC origins of, uh, you know, their their big superheroes, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, stuff like that. But, yeah, I was a Marvel guy for a long, long time. Alrighty. So which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? 
Oh boy. Um, I would love to see if I could, you know, uh, get something into production tomorrow. I would love to see uh, Marvel's Defenders. Now, I mean, like the kooky, crazy Defenders from like the seventies, you know, with Doctor Strange and all those guys. I would love to see Valkyrie, all those ones animated in a crazy series. Hmm. Given your um, usual comics taste, that does not surprise me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, for sure. Love that series. Alrighty, so villain most in need of decaf. Wow, uh, the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who's the best super pet? Uh, Streaky. Dr. Ange paid me to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. you know, honesty counts for something there. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, so can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman? No way. (laughs) That Superman is, you know... You figure other Christopher Reeve is my favorite Superman because that's the Superman I saw first. But uh, when I was able to watch those uh, old uh, uh, shows from the uh, you know original television show run, oh man, I love those. I mean, the guy I love Lucy was on there. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, mm-hmm. that, that's a good. Mm-hmm. That, that's a good reason right there. Yeah. I mean, if, Lucy, you, if you've got Lucy Lucille was, Ball in your corner, you're... Um... Yeah, she was never on Mighty Mouse, so look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and would you prefer a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? Or comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor? Oh, I would easily pick the former instead of the latter there. You don't fear Doom's grudge? No, just because I don't think he can figure out where I live. I'm so far <laughs> out. In, I'm, uh, I'm so far out in the boonies. It's he's he'll never find me. <laughs> <laughs> if I lived in New York, I'd be worried. I'd take the latter. But where I'm at, no way. He'll never find me. <laughs> he'll get bored way before he finds me and give up. <laughs> oh my god. That is a valid answer as a, a person who grew up out in the country. Yes, I mm-hmm. fully understand that one. <laughs> he'll just be like flying around and be like, there's nothing for miles and miles and miles. And he'll give up. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Oh, Billy, I've had a blast. Thank you so much for joining me on here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This was a lot of fun, and I didn't even know this story existed until you reached out to me and let me know about it. So uh, thanks, man. This is great. I'm glad for you uh, turning me on to this story. It's great. Yeah, I mean, that that's part of the fun of these anthologies and, you know, just random comics here and there. Sometimes you you find some of these little hidden gems, and it, it's like, hey, you know, this is your niche stuff. And, you know, have you read this? And you're like, no. Oh, my gosh, you know. Mm-hmm. I always love that, like discovering a new story with favorite teams or characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, love it. Yeah, and this is this is a real chestnut here. Anybody that's a, a JSA fan, All Star Squadron, you know, you gotta you gotta read this one. Yeah, 
Well, Billy, before you go, do let people know where they can find you online. Yeah, so, you know, uh, the best place to find me, as of this recording anyway, is uh, Twitter. It's uh, uh, You can find me, uh, I'm uh, on Twitter, at All Squadron. Uh, that's the, you know, All-Star Squadron uh, handle show where, you know, uh, Herm and I started that show. And then uh, Sean Ross and Martin Gray and uh, Ross Aiken came on as well, co-hosting. And we finished out All-Star Squadron. And then now we jumped into Steel, Freedom Fighters, and some of the JSA Super Squad as well. So definitely you can uh, look for me uh, there. All righty. Well, that seems to be wrapping this one up. So I will take a quick little promo break, probably come back with a little bit of a sign-off on the other side, and uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. So stick with us. World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. Join your hosts, Billy D. And Herman, as we take a deep dive into the seminal DC Comics series created by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. We'll be covering the series issue by issue, spotlighting our favorite characters. And talking about the historical tie-ins as well. So join us every month in A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. Coming in December 2020 to a podcatcher near you. folks that brings us to the end of another holiday festivity this is of course the end of part three so you still got one more to go folks i want to give thanks again to michael and billy for joining me here and i am looking forward to showing you well not really showing you but you know bringing you two more guests in the final part so i hope you'll join us again for another coffee and comics This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg. 